0: What famous American used Morris code when he proposed in person to his wife?
1: And how does the Queen of England send coded messages to her staff?
0: Ah, two questions about code in this episode <laughs> of The Off Rap with Bob
1: and Marshaw Smith.
0: Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, we just learned we both have coded messages. Indeed,
1: it's another one of those coinkydinks.
0: (laughs) All right, I'll ask you mine first. All right. What famous American used Morse code when he proposed to his wife in person? That should give you a clue. The clue is he had a hearing problem. So So did he
1: tap it out on his fingers? He
0: tapped it out. And? Who was he, Marsh? Oh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh. well, now you're asking the hard stuff. Thomas Edison.
0: Thomas Edison. I
1: forgot that he was hard of hearing. Yeah, he suffered
0: from deafness, uh, and that came about during an explosion in his youth. And he taught his bride-to-be Morse code while he was dating her. And then when she was able to send and receive messages, he proposed to her by tapping out his message in her hand, and she said yes in his hand.
1: Oh, that's really sweet. Isn't that sweet? sweet? So,
0: and according to friends, after they were married, they often communicated to each other in Morse code, and the skill came in handy when the Edisons went to the theater, because Mrs. Edison could telegraph the actor's words to her deaf husband's knee.
1: Yeah, Wow. So, he was he totally deaf? No, not totally, no. So, you just... He was yeah. hard of hearing, yeah. yeah. Tom, <laughs> come to dinner! Well...
0: And you've got a coded question, too.
1: I do. This would have to be called the Coded Trivia Show. Okay, well, you know I love codes, right? hmm Prince Philip has been in the news. He died at 99 years old. Mm-hmm. Did you know that he and Liz were... Great-great-grandchildren of Queen Victoria? Yes, I did. Oh, of course. Okay. I knew that. Teenage... They were cousins. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, very distant. Third yeah. cousins, I think. Yeah. Not enough to get uh, a child with three arms. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, uh, uh, they met when uh, he was 13 and she was nine. Did you know that?
0: I knew that they met in the 30s when he came to visit the royal family. How old were they when they got married, Marsh?
1: I think she was 21. How old 24. was he? Uh well,
0: 26. Yeah. Now let's get to well, the question. Oh,
1: oh the question. <laughs> yeah, that's yes. nice.
0: Let's get to the question, well, Marsh. Yes.
1: Okay. So how does the Queen send coded messages to her staff so they know what her desires are?
0: Really? The Queen of England sends coded messages to yeah. her staff?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Does she have a little... Like a little uh, terminal that she just taps it out in Morse code, or it lights, blinks, or it does. You think she carries that
1: in her purse? It's a pager. <laughs> no, but the answer lies within her ever-present purse. Yes, that's her right.
0: Pocketbook, right? That's
1: right. Her purse. She's always carrying a purse, and if she's at dinner and ready for it to end in five minutes, she takes picks up her handbag and puts it on the table. So the staff knows time to start clearing the dishes in five minutes. Oh, my God. And if she's out and about and wants to keep things moving along because she's getting bored or in a pickle, she transfers her purse from her left arm to her right arm, and that's the cue for staff to swoop in and get things moving. No kidding. Yeah, so she uses her purse for (laughs) secret coded
0: messages. Just, just placing it different yeah. places. Isn't that funny? Oh, I wonder if that, uh, was that an intentional thing or did everybody say, no, when she does that, obviously no, she's I, ready to go. No, no,
1: no, I think that was sad. That's from Mental Floss. Uh, Very I'm sure good. it was heavily researched. But, <laughs> but yeah, how would you, you know, uh, you can't just say, uh, Agnes, get this line moving or this guy's a bore or, you know, clear the table, these people. Get the
0: commoners out of here. <laughs> All right, two follow-up questions to Thomas Edison. What was his first invention? Was it the telegraph? No, it was not. He did not invent the telegraph, Marcia. Hearing he, aid? He invented some things that went along with the telegraph. Uh, Morse code. It was something that took years to catch on, and when it caught on, it wasn't his machine that was successful. It was the voting machine. He came up with really? a voting machine, oh. designed it in the 1860s, and his potential customers found it completely uninteresting. Really? Oh. <laughs> Interestingly enough, we talked about him being deaf, right? Or a yeah, lot deaf. Yeah. He actually preferred Braille to visual reading.
1: Oh, no kidding. Yeah.
0: I don't know. He either. probably
1: was very close oh, I'm with sure that. he
0: was very eccentric as yes, a person. Yes. Difficult to get along with.
1: Okay. Bob, what is a laryngeal prominence?
0: Something to do with the larynx, so your throat. It's an Adam's apple.
1: Excellent. Okay. Okay, got one for the big guy. How did the Adam's apple get its name, Bob?
0: Well, Adam had an apple, and Eve, of course, was the temptress. And so it stuck in his throat.
1: I don't know. That's exactly it.
0: That was the idea? <laughs>
1: That's it. It's Adam and Eve. It's ancient folklore that Adam ate the forbidden apple and a large chunk got stuck in his throat, <laughs> forming a lump.
0: Well, oh, but, that just goes to show you sometimes your imagination works well.
1: Oh, but here's the final question. Why only men, Bob?
0: Why only men what?
1: Have an Adam's apple and not women.
0: Because men were smart enough not to offer fruit to women. <laughs> Obviously, that's the answer. Okay,
1: let me go with my question.
0: No, that's not it? A backup. Okay. Uh, I don't know why.
1: Well, it's actually very... uh...
0: There's no folklore with regard to that, is there? No, no.
1: This is according to Live Science. Men have a larger voice box, so it sticks out more. So dudes speak lower in tone, right? Compared to us dainty ladies. Oh, dear. (laughs) And so uh, that's it. Your voice box is bigger.
0: All right. Now, Marcia, a couple weeks back, you flummoxed me oh, with I like all to, of your I like to thwart, lists.
1: I like to thwart you and flummox you.
0: <laughs> Remember you had a list of the top film songs, uh, and then you had the top songs from Broadway shows, and yeah. then the top songs from Broadway shows that became films yes. and the movies. Oh, my God, you had I'm gonna me I'm going to do the confusing. second half.
1: What's five through no, ten this No, way.
0: no, <laughs> I've got something for you. One of our friends took pity on me, Rob Fredrickson. <laughs> Rob Fredrickson said, give her this list. So these were songs in the Billboard Hot 100 that happened to be in films. Just but give me a few. Just
1: I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston.
0: Oh, that is one. Yes, yes. Okay. What number is that? That's actually number nine. Really? Yeah, not in the top five. Question on that. Who wrote that song? I don't know. Dolly Parton.
1: Oh my gosh. She sang it too. She
0: wrote it. She sang it. She wrote it in 1973, but Kevin Costner played Linda Ronstadt's version of it to Whitney Houston and she wanted to record it. And so that's yeah. how it became part of the show. Yeah. All right. Anything yeah. else? Yeah. Well, all
1: right. I have to think. Uh, something from Greece? No. Um,
0: two from Saturday Night Fever, though.
1: Can't remember those songs, those disco songs. <laughs> Staying Alive.
0: No. From the top 10, number nine was I Will Always Love You. Okay. Number eight was Night Fever by the Bee Gees. Now, there's an interesting story behind that because Robert Stigwood, the producer of the film, he wanted to call this film Saturday Night. So he said, could you change your song's name to Saturday Night? And they said, no. (laughs) So he decided to change the title of the movie. He went from the movie being Saturday Night to Saturday Night Fever, their song. And that's how he renamed the film to Saturday Night Fever. So that's interesting. Flashdance. Oh. Irene Cara. It's called Flashdance, What a Feeling.
1: Oh. That's the song title. Oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. The Eye of the Tiger. Uh-huh. Now, there's an interesting story behind that. That was Sylvester Stallone's Rocky Three. He wanted to use another song. Any idea what it might have been about a, somebody being pummeled? I don't know. Another one bites the dust by oh, Queen. He oh. wanted to use that, but he couldn't get the rights to it. So he went to Jim Petrick and Frank Sullivan. They were in a band called Survivor, and they wrote Eye of the Tiger, and they timed the percussive guitar and the drum hits to the way he punched in the film. Yeah. Bum, bum,
1: bum. Bum, bum, bum. Well, see.
0: Bum, oh, bum, oh. bum. Well,
1: Queen missed a chance on that one. They sure did. They would have uh, done All right, DL,
0: the... the top five where we started. How yeah. Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees? Yeah. And this is one I didn't expect. Theme from a Summer Place by Percy Faith oh, from God. 1960.
1: Yes. Oh, that was so boring, but.
0: <laughs> but that song, <laughs> dun, 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 dun dun that was the fourth top film song on Billboard's Hot 100 charts. Wow. Number three was Everything I Do For You by Brian Adams. Number two, Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Oh, yeah, that was good. They're both big solo artists yeah, at the time, but yeah. this was their top song for yeah, each of their that careers.
1: It was very rousing, I thought.
0: <laughs> and number one, believe it or not, was You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone. Debbie Boone is number all time? Number one. It was a originally sung by a trained classical singer, but she re-recorded it, and it was the best song Grammy, but it tied. It tied with Evergreen with Barbara Streisand that year. They gave a, an award for two different what, artists. It tied with who? Barbara Streisand's "Evergreen." Wow! So the those are the oh, you didn't get any of those right, Marsh. And <laughs> I thought this was your specialty. <laughs> Top film songs. What? Oh well. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Thanks to Rob Fredrickson. What
1: a what a face, Bud. <laughs> okay, all right, Bob. Why do why do we say good night? Sleep tight.
0: Why do we say good night? Sleep tight. I think the sleep tight had to do with bed bugs. Don't let the bedbugs bite, and that was you had to wrap yourself tightly in your clothes ah, or something. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Sometime during the century, sixteenth century, British farmers stopped sleeping on the ground and they got into beds. The beds were straw-filled mattresses tied to wooden frames, and before hitting the hay, you had to pull on the ropes to tighten them to get a good night's sleep. Hence the term "sleep tight."
0: Why did you have to pull on the ropes? I to make understand-
1: it tighter. Because otherwise it would sag down to the ground.
0: Oh, to lift up the ropes. I see. So So after a night's sleep,
1: they probably got saggy. Yeah. And then you tighten the ropes and you're back up.
0: All right, Marcia, this is a recent bit of news that came out and a little disturbing, I think. What part of the body changes the most after a year in space? Oh, I know this.
1: Wait, wait, wait. It's the heart.
0: The heart. You're right. In the words of the New York Times, note to future space travelers, prepare for a shrinking heart. Jeez. Because that was Scott Kelly. He spent a year in space, and after a study was done, the right chamber of his heart lost a quarter of its mass.
1: That's huge. 25% 25% of heart mass? Yeah, I mean, in a
0: year's time. And he was doing all kinds of exercises on the mission, you know, uh, but his heart mass shrank from 4.9 ounces to 6.7 ounces, which was the decline of 27%. This is something they're going to have to think about for the, say, the, the mission to Mars, because yeah, people gonna are going to take a couple of years to get to yeah, Mars. Then
1: come back with, you know, 75% capacity, you're yeah. not going to be doing a whole lot. Well, how, how did he get it? Back, I mean, did he just? I, it just grew back.
0: Some of it was gravity and some other things. I mean, there's just all kinds of uh, forces that react in a different way in yeah. space. So yeah,
1: that's a pickle.
0: He says he's feeling fine and everything's normal. Well, maybe let's do another study on his heart to see. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's got a good. But it drop. is kind
0: of disturbing, isn't it? When it's, you think about your heart. After all, it's a, just a year in space, and your left ventricle basically shrunk more than twenty five percent.
1: That is. Before we go to break, I'll just do some booze quickies. <laughs>
0: Booze quickies? <laughs> Three of them.
1: Did you know that daiquiri is the name of a village in eastern Cuba?
0: No. Is that where it got its name? The drink yes. got its name from daiquiri.
1: Yeah. Huh. And the word rum is an abbreviation and stands for bullion And lastly, the word whiskey comes from Gaelic and literally means The water of life.
0: Well, we all know it is.
1: (laughs) Sherlock is always throwing it down somebody's throat to revive them.
0: (laughs) All right, let's take a break. We'll be back with more. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, we're back. Welcome to The Off-Ramp. All right, Marcia, why, as we get to the warmer weather of the summer approaching, a lot of things come into the mind, like, hey, let's cook outside, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Why can we all thank Henry Ford and Thomas Edison for backyard barbecues? Oh,
1: oh, is it because down in Florida at uh, Ford's Summer House and Edison had one, too, next door. We were there and they had that big Naples. Pet. Naples. Naples. <laughs> I just said nipples. No, Naples. Uh, <laughs> and Those uh, are seen, too, in at, Florida. And Tom would come over. And they'd uh, eat outside and cook on wood? I can't remember. Boy, this,
0: you've really got this picture in your mind, don't I you? I do.
1: They, they started cooking out together? No,
0: no, no. Okay. It better. has to do with what did Henry Ford invent that we use every summer? Modern Charcoal. He did? Charcoal. I didn't know that. Charcoal briquettes. (laughs) This is common knowledge? Uh, Doesn't
1: say so on the (laughs) bag.
0: Actually, it does say so on the bag. No. If you look at Kingsford charcoal, it tells the story on the back. But why in God's name would an automaker have anything to do with charcoal, Uh right? Well, that's because the first automobile bodies were made almost entirely of wood, and Henry Ford was always wanting to use all the materials and not have any waste. He hated waste. Cost him money. Got it. For instance, every Model T used 100 board feet of wood for the frame, the dashboard, the steering wheel, and the modern wheels that rubber tires went on. Now, you lived in northern Michigan. You probably didn't know this, but Henry Ford needed a lumber for those cars he was making. Yeah. So he went to his real estate agent, e.g. Kingsford. And he purchased 313,000 acres in northern Michigan in the Upper Peninsula to use for automobiles. And he put Kingsford in charge of that plant. And next door to it, they had a wood chemical plant. He said, well, there's so much wood here, it's being wasted. Yeah. Let's find some use for it. He Mm -hmm. turned to his friend, Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison knew that people used charcoal on things for years. They found a way to turn all this wood, grind it up and pulp it and chemically treat it, turn it into these little briquettes. Well, guess who designed the plant that made those? Thomas Edison. Uh, Wow. So Thomas Edison and Henry Ford are responsible for charcoal, the charcoal we use Mm. today. They took uh, sawdust, mill waste, tar, and cornstarch and turned them into pillow-shaped lumps of fuel called charcoal briquettes.
1: That's what I feel like sometimes, a lump of fuel. Years later,
0: what? Ford sold that company and the uh, investors from northern Michigan named it Kingsford in honor of their friend who yeah. managed the whole thing for them. Oh, well, that's so, very cool. Yeah, Kingsford Charcoal I has the story on the back of the bag if you look at it.
1: I guess I never did. Okay, time for Marsha's Animal Corner.
0: What, <laughs> Here we go again.
1: What animal gets the most sleep on a daily basis?
0: A bear.
1: Well they hibernate, but I, would I think said daily basis. Cats
0: get a lot of sleep well, on you're a right, daily basis. But
1: it's not the most. Okay. It was actually your first pet, Bob. Remember your a goldfish? No? A hairy armadillo.
0: <laughs> oh, I, no, I never had an armadillo. <laughs> Can you imagine having one of those as a pet around the uh, house? A
1: hairy one yet, too. It sleeps uh, on average of 20.4 hours a day. But cats are right up there, Bob, with 12 to 16 hours a day of sleep.
0: 12 to 16 hours of sleep in 24 hours? And why, you ask? Why?
1: Because they're hunting killing and eating instincts remain intact even though they're domesticated so they are still trying to reserve their energy for the great hunt uh, so what's sounds your like ex- a big excuse to me <laughs> what's your excuse I don't Bob? Have,
0: <laughs> it does sound like an excuse like I'm a I'm a lioness <laughs> I must rest. I could just imagine if a cat could talk, it would say that to its human. Oh, Okay, Marcia, with summer in the uh, old days and in some locations still comes drive-in theaters. Oh, yes. I still love them. What was the inspiration for the drive-in theater? What was the inspiration? For? man named Richard Hollingshead <laughs> had this inspiration when something happened.
1: Yeah. Tell me what that was, Bob.
0: Okay, the inspiration for the drive-in theater was a hot summer night showing home movies. Outside. He was trying to show friends home movies in his living room one summer night in the late 1920s, but the heat was so bad, he took his projector outside, set it on the hood of his car, and he projected the movies onto a sheet he hung on the garage door. Well,
1: see, that that was my thought while you were talking about that. Yeah,
0: and his guests loved it so much, he got the idea to, you know, show movies. So he started showing home movies at gas stations to entertain customers. That was the first idea he had while they were filling their tanks. Entertain them while they're filling their tanks. What do they have at service stations now? Yeah, Those little video screens. But eventually he came up with the idea for an outdoor drive-in theater, and he actually patented it. You can find it online for the landscaped ramps that tilted the cars up so people could watch the vehicle. Yeah, all that was patented, and you can find it online. He opened the first drive-in theater in Camden, New Jersey, June 6th, 1933, 600 people showed up. The oh. film was an Adolf monjou <laughs> film, Wife Beware.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: Now, who fought that idea more than anyone else and oh, knocked him out of business? The studios.
1: Because they couldn't get their pound of flesh from Well, it?
0: you know why? They owned all the indoor theaters, theaters at the time. Yeah. Remember, the, years yeah. ago, the, the Supreme yeah. Court eventually made the movie theaters... You can't have the studios and the theaters. Yeah. Got to get rid of one of them. But at that time, they owned all the theaters, and so they refused to rent him a lot of the oh. films that were popular. And eventually, he went out of business. But other people came in. But after two or three years, he he sold it.
1: Oh, I hope he made some money.
0: But the man who invented it was Richard Hollingshead, and the inspiration was showing home movies on a sheet outside Makes with his friends. Makes
1: perfect sense. It I does. love it. Yeah. I love it.
0: I still think uh, drive-ins are fun. You yes. go to once in a while. Up you know? in
1: Door County, we always try to go to that.
0: One. The drive in theater up there is still in business and, so, and it's like a kid's paradise in the summer.
1: Our kids still like it. They always want to go there if we're up there. Okay. Bob, recently a Texas woman got her nails trimmed. Nothing like a manicure, but it was the first time in 28 years. Oh, dear. How long were they?
0: Oh, my. Well, that would be,
1: hmm. mm <clears throat> <clears throat> my.
0: <laughs> would it be 12 inches? No, I'd say maybe four or five inches. I assume they stopped growing after a time. They don't. Oh, how long were you they? You want to go
1: beyond, Go into feet, Bob.
0: <gasps> You're kidding.
1: 24 how, feet. How could she even function with nails that You should that have long? saw them. they all these little curved things. Oh, God. She said she could drive a car, but it was hard to dry dishes or something. Yeah,
0: and how painful that would be if one of them broke.
1: Oh, I don't know, but uh, she had to have them cut with an electric rotary tool at a doctor's office. (laughs) A
0: power tool.
1: Her manicured required three to four bottles of polish per application. Holy cow. And her nails will soon be put into the Ripley Believe It or Not Museum in Florida. (laughs) The only place they belong. That's where we're going on vacation, bud. (laughs) Oh, God. The Ripley
0: Believe It or Not Museum. I always wanted to go to that when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I I don't know. I'd probably get gaggy at some of it. Gaggy? Gaggy.
0: Okay, Marsha. Think of your uh, medicine cabinet. His name is on the product, but he didn't invent it. He inspired it. Who was he and what product bears his name?
1: Can you give me a category?
0: Something you put in your mouth. (laughs) Well, that's as close as I could get. I
1: mean, medicinal or healthy or... I would say clinical, sanitary. Sanitary, something, a toothpaste, Colgate. No. No, um, something, um, uh, was it a cough drop like the Smith Brothers?
0: This was used to clean your mouth. Your uncle and... Used to clean your mouth.
1: (laughs) Mouthwash. Listerine. yes.
0: Joseph Lister, Dr. Joseph Lister, is the man it was named after. He campaigned against filthy hospitals and doctors that didn't wash properly and perform surgery in street clothes. So he had a crusade. That inspired the medical profession to adopt more sanitary practices. And when a St. Louis chemist, Joseph Lawrence, invented a new germ-killing mouthwash, he named it in his honor, Listerine, Joseph Lister, Wow. to honor his name. Sir Joseph Lister, I should say.
1: Yeah. Okay, Bob. What pop star requires 20 bodyguards?
0: 20 bodyguards? Does he require them or just insists on them? That's the question.
1: Insists on 20 bodyguards. He insists
0: on... Can you give me any clues as to the... It's a she. As to her profession? (laughs) Is it Beyonce? No. Is it... You're not Barbara Streisand. No,
1: no. Madonna. Yes. Madonna has how many? 20 bodyguards. Her entourage she travels with is 200.
0: Oh, my God. I mean,
1: not to mention everywhere she goes, she needs a new toilet seat in every dressing room at, well, of course. Every, at every gig. And she has – check this – her personal furniture – shipped in from her home to her dressing room at every venue.
0: I wonder if all that's true. It sounds ridiculous.
1: It does sound ridiculous. 200 people? I don't think the White House brings that many
0: people along for something. Oh, of course
1: not. She has yoga, yoga people, hairdressers, makeup, aromatherapists, whatever.
0: Pretty good for a little girl from Detroit, (sighs) huh? All right, Marcia, you mentioned these guys earlier. I'm going to ask you this question. Why did the Smith brothers put their pictures on their cough drops? For this instance. was a branding decision.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, that was my guess.
0: The reason they did it was to prove to consumers they were buying the real McCoy, because Andy and William Smith, that was their names, okay. they were the sons of a uh, Poughkeepsie, New York candy maker and restaurant owner. And in 1871, one of his customers gave him a recipe for dough candy. He made a batch of it, and it sold out. And in fact, people up and down the Hudson Valley, where colds were constant during the long winters, wanted more of these cough drops And the Smith family became America's cough drop kings. But the problem was they had a lot of
1: copycats. Oh.
0: Yeah, a lot of copycats calling themselves the Smith Cough Drops. So the uh, bearded Smith brothers introduced new packaging with their pictures to assure customers they were buying authentic Smith Cough Drops. So it was a branding thing.
1: Singular distinction. That's what it gave them. Okay. In 2009, a search for the famous Loch Ness Monster found no monster but instead found what?
0: It found an inflatable blow-up toy. (laughs) Huge. (laughs) Okay, I don't know what did they find.
1: According to treehugger.com, the search team found 100,000 golf balls. Oh, no! (laughs) At the bottom of the lake, uh, courtesy, I imagine, of the nearby golf courses and bad duffers. But over time, you know, Golf balls degrade in water and pollute and harm the, the water and wildlife, hence the interest of treehugger.com. Oh, that
0: makes sense. Yeah. yeah. How many?
1: 100,000.
0: That would make a Loch Ness monster.
1: It did. Isn't that amazing? Wow. And they counted them.
0: We didn't find the monster, but we did come up with a few <laughs> other things. Can you imagine that? All right, Marcia, this is from a category I'd call, what else was going on at the time? Okay. Now <laughs> we
1: make these categories <laughs> up on the spot. It's don't my we? own
0: category. In seventeen seventy six, the great writer Thomas Paine was editing a magazine called the American Monthly Museum. It was a Philadelphia magazine. Now the final issue in July seventeen seventy six included the only contemporary magazine printing of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But what were some of the other articles in that issue? I got the titles of some of their titles. It's funny.
1: Really? Oh, I don't know. Uh, My story, a pain in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Tell me.
0: Along with that great historic document were articles including Proposal to Prevent Scurvy at Sea and another article called On the Great Danger of Ladies Wearing Wires in Their Caps and Pins in Their Hair. It's just nice to know that people were as distracted as they are now. You it sounds like this, cosmopolitan. Yeah, you got this great here, this Declaration of Independence, yeah. and then and here's a ladies' hats, yeah. ladies' yeah. pins.
1: That is curious. That's uh, interesting.
0: And a way to prevent scurvy.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to end with a quote, uh, with two quotes, one from a president, one a pop star. Okay. It's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit.
0: Oh, that's a famous quote. Who said it? Harry Truman said something like that.
1: That's what I got down for him saying. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, that was Harry. And from Cutie Pie, Harry Styles, a real girl isn't perfect. A perfect girl isn't real.
0: Well, that's true, too. (laughs) Good old Harry. (laughs) Okay, now that was a lot of stuff and started out with Morse code. So it was quite a menagerie of things in this episode. Well, we hope you enjoyed this half hour, and we welcome you back next time. And if you would like to send us a trivia question you want one of us to read to the other, just do so by going to our website, theofframp.show, and going to... Contact us. Put in the question, the answer, and who you want to answer it. Okay, that's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time for... The The Off Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.